each other. My name is Bro- Whoa. My name is Brian, pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont, and it is good to be with you in person here. It's good to be with you online, and we are going to get into God's Word together. We're going to be in John chapter 12 in just a moment. If you want to grab one of these Bibles in the seats underneath the chairs in front of you, uh, we're going to be on page 898, or you could open up, hopefully, maybe you brought your own Bible, or you use your phone or tablet, you could open that as well. Before we get into all of that, though, I have a really important announcement to make, and so I hope you all, I hope you all join me. My beautiful and amazing and talented wife, it's her birthday today, so we say happy birthday to Lori. She's unbelievable, and, and you may not know this, she has such gifts in administration and organization, and she supports ministry in so many ways behind the scenes that, that uh, many of you may not see, but we're so blessed by that. Um, Lori was 24 when we got married. We've been married almost 15 years. She told me this morning she turns 29 today, and I'm not sure how that all works out, uh, but you're the CPA, so I just, I'll let you have the numbers correct there. Uh, and um, I, I know we're getting older. Do you know how I know we're getting older? Because I watch those announcements, and I'm so jealous of all that energy that James and Valentina have. I'm just tired watching them, uh, and I wish, like, I, I remember the days when we had so much energy, and, and God bless them. I'm so glad that they're, that they're a part of our church, and they can bring that energy uh, to everything that we do. So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 12, right? Let's go! Right? Isn't that, is that the way you do it? All right, let's do this. John... John chapter 12. Let me ask you a question uh, as we get into the, to the text this morning. Do you remember the last time you were lost? You remember the last time you felt lost with our cell phones and GPS and everything? It might have been a while ago, but maybe you were a child and you were with your parents in a store and, and you looked up and all of a sudden they had rounded a corner and you didn't, they didn't realize you stayed and you didn't realize they left and that feeling of trying to figure out where you should go next and, and where you should head. You remember that feeling? Or maybe you were hiking and there was no cell signal and you got, you got off on the trail and you're starting to try to figure out how do we get back where we're supposed to be. Or maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe you remember the day before GPS. Does anyone remember that? Uh, we talk about how difficult it is to drive with cell phones, but remember when you had to hold those MapQuest directions in the middle of the steering wheel and try to pay attention while you read those directions? All those times when you would just find yourself lost and you try to figure out where you were going. If you're like me, when you find yourself lost, you start to try to look for some key indicators to figure out, am I headed in the right direction? Am I going in the right way? If I'm in the woods, uh, is this the same tree that I've seen three times before? Or is, am I going in the right direction? I remember when I first uh, moved to the Boston area, I was going to seminary up on the North Shore, kind of in the Beverly area. And I would fly into Boston or I'd be in Boston for for an event, and I was so confused by the roads. And those of you that have moved from other parts of the country, you you maybe know what I'm talking about. I I came from the world of a grid. Everything was on a grid. Everything made sense. The streets went up numerically. They were all in boxes. And then I moved here where they were just like, let's just build roads wherever we feel like it, and, and, uh, and we'll have our own special way of doing it. It was so challenging for me to figure it out. And I remember I would come out of the city, and I'd go north on 93 or north on Route 1, and then I would come to 95. And I knew in my head I had to go east to get back to school, but the road was labeled north and south. 
I knew the road was going east and west, but the sign said north and south. And I, for the longest time, I had a really difficult time with no GPS coming up to that intersection and saying, okay, I know I want to go east, but which way is east? Do I go north to go east or do I go south to go east? And there were a couple of times where I took the wrong way. And the only way I knew that, I'd taken, that I could remember that I had taken the wrong exit was there were key indicators that I would try to find. So I'd say, if I see this, I know I'm headed in the wrong direction. If I see this, I know I'm going in the right direction, right? Burlington Mall, bad. North Shore Mall, good. And those indicators would let me know I'm headed in the right direction. Let me ask you, what are the key indicators in your life that you are headed in the right direction? How do you know? What do you point to? What do you look at and say, I know I'm headed in the right direction in my life because what? I'll ask it a different way. How do you know you're headed in the right direction when it comes to your relationship with God? What are the indicators that you look at? What are are the, the metrics that you look for? How do you know if you're moving forward or you're moving the opposite direction? You know, I think what we use for indicators, key indicators in our relationship with God is so important. If we don't have the right indicators in place, if we're not looking at the right things to tell whether or not we're moving toward God or away from God, as we're going to see today, you can actually spend a lot of time around God and near God and yet be far from him in your heart. If we get this wrong, If we start to look at the wrong things to measure our relationship with God, we can actually think that we're growing in the right direction, but really we're lost and headed the opposite way. In fact, there's one thing we're going to look at today that throughout Scripture, the principle remains the same, that there is a clear spiritual metric, and it may not be exactly what you think it is, that can let us know if you and I are growing closer to God or if we're going further away from Him. Now, If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we have been talking about the earliest Christians, and we've been talking about the the group of Christians, these 3,000 or so people that started gathering in the city of Jerusalem after Jesus' ministry on this earth ended. And Jesus, he ascended into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit came around Pentecost, and you have this group of a little over 3,000 believers gathering in the city and beginning the earliest forms of the church, and we have been looking at what God did among them. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we've read about how there were many signs and wonders being done by the apostles, and how God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And we've said, one of the ways 2021 could be an amazing year is if we saw God do among us what we cannot do ourselves, that God came and did that work, did those signs, did those wonders among us, And that we would see many being added to those who follow Jesus, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family. If there's any metric that would make 2021 a great year, there's all sorts of reasons why people in our world are saying 2021 is going to be a great year because I think as followers of Jesus, the way we can measure whether this will be a great year is if we see God at work in our midst, in our church, and if we see more people begin to follow him. And we've noticed as we've looked at God's work in the early church that there was certain activity among the people, that they were devoted to certain things. And we've said that Greek word devotion, proskoterneo, could be easily translated patiently persistent. 
that they were patiently persistent in the word and they were patiently persistent in prayer and they were patiently persistent in fellowship. And as a result, God did signs and wonders among them and many were added to their number. There's another thing that we see in the early church, and we see it in Acts chapter 2, but even more clearly we see it in Acts chapter 4, just a couple of chapters later. Something that distinguished this community apart from the world around them. And in Acts chapter 4, we read this phrase that I think is such an interesting phrase and worth thinking about for a little bit. We read that there was not a needy person among them. That in this early church, there was not a needy person among them. And I wonder, how did they accomplish that? Because certainly there were needy people in the world around them. Certainly there were needy people uh, in the Roman Empire in the first century. And yet it was said of this earliest church that there was not a needy person among them. And if we read the verses around it, we begin to see why that was the case. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with the great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the pro- brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, I read these early verses, and there's similar verses in Acts chapter 2, and then there's these verses in Acts chapter 4. And I wonder to myself, what is the the one-to-one comparison between this first century church and what God was called us to today? There have been people over the years that have said, well, because of these verses, what God is calling us to do is to do uh, exactly what it says, that in our current world, in our current culture, we should pool all our resources and sell everything we have and put a couple people in charge and live in a commune apart from the rest of the world, and that's what we should do. We should, we should have that sort of society and that sort of commune. I don't think that's what God's word here is telling us at all. For a couple of reasons, just briefly. One, in Acts chapter 2, we read that the believers still met at individual people's houses. So not every last person sold their house. They still met at their houses to pray and to break bread and to gather. We also know that this is not mandatory. This is voluntary, that they're choosing to do this. That something is happening in their hearts that's causing them to be generous with what God has given them. And so I think that there's something here that's more descriptive than prescriptive for us in our world today. But the question is, what is it? You notice in those verses that the apostles are testifying and giving witness to the work that God has done among them. And that great grace is filling all the people. And there's something key that's happening here. The people are responding to the grace of God. The people are not putting in a system that's supposed to be uh, in place for everyone at all time. The people are responding to God's grace. 
What happens in the earliest church is that the apostles begin to talk about how generous God has been in his grace and his mercy unto them and to the Christians and to the people that are the earliest followers of Jesus Christ. And out of the generosity of God's grace that they have received, the people are being generous to one another. And it's a principle that's throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, that a key indicator of your relationship with God, that your relationship with God is moving forward, a key indicator that your relationship with God, that my relationship with God is moving in the right direction, is increasing generosity toward God's mission. And it's not a volume thing. It's not necessarily that, that because I'm growing closer to God, God gives me more money, and then I give more money to God's work and to other people. That's, that's not what is happening here. It's an attitude thing. There's a shift in perception among the early Christians. That because of God's generosity and grace unto them, because of God's outpouring, you know, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says that God lavishes his love on us, that because of that great outpouring of God's love and grace that the apostles are witnessing to among the people, that the people are now reevaluating their possessions, and they're saying we are part of a mission that is bigger and more important than us. And it is important that those who are on mission with us, that those who are also a part of the church, have their needs met so that all all of us can be on mission together. And they would go around and they would choose. And some people would sell land and some people would sell a house, but they found a way as a community to meet the needs of the believers and meet the needs of the mission so it could continue. And what they're doing is they're not trying to, to strategize some sort of new way of communal living. What they're doing is responding to God's grace and the outpouring of God's generosity and generosity toward God's mission. And throughout the scripture, if we went through the, whole, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is this correlation that when we are headed in the right direction in our relationship with God, we become more and more generous when it comes to fulfilling God's mission and doing what it takes to get his work done. But you know, the opposite is also true. If a key indicator in your life and my life that we are moving in the right direction is that we become more generous when it comes to the work of God, the opposite is also true. That a key indicator in your life and my life that we are moving in the wrong direction, that we are moving away from God, is increasing generosity, not towards God's mission, but toward your mission. That a key indicator that you're moving away from God is not generosity towards what God wants to do in this world and in and through you, but increasing generosity just to what I want to do, what I want to do with my life. And it's really interesting when we look here, we're going to look at John chapter 12 in just a moment because we're going to see someone who hung out with Jesus a lot. In fact, we're going to see someone who saw almost everything Jesus did Observed it all. Part of the 12. Saw the miracles, heard the teaching, but never began to grasp the outpouring of generosity and grace and mercy that God was lavishing upon him. And so rather than become generous 
in God's mission and fulfilling what God had wanted him to do, he became only generous in trying to get done what he wanted to get done. And it's so interesting to me that it's not just proximity to Jesus that makes this difference, but it's, an, it's a reception and an understanding of God's generous grace that changes a heart. Did you know Jesus had a bank account? We don't talk about that much, but the Bible says that Jesus and the disciples, well, they don't say bank account. The Bible says they carried a money bag. And it's not something I hear mentioned much, and it's not even something that really stands out to me in Scripture, but when we started to go and look back uh, for, this, for this purpose of this message, it gets mentioned a couple different times that Jesus' mission was funded by different people and that the disciples and Jesus had a money bag that they carried with them, and they carried it for some specific reasons. If you were to look at Luke chapter 8, you would see that there were groups of people that traveled with Jesus, and they provided for the ministry, they gave to the ministry out of their own resources. And so Jesus and his disciples, they had this, this pool of money that they used for ministry. And if we were to go to John chapter 13, stick with me. I know I'm going to a lot of verses today, but if we were to go to John chapter 13, which is the chapter after this one, we get a very clear indication what this money was for. The next chapter after John chapter 12, and I promise you we're going to read this chapter. I know I've said it a lot. We're going to read it. John chapter 13, night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's sitting at a meal with his disciples. Jesus knows he's going to die on the cross, and he knows Judas is going to betray him, Judas Iscariot. No one else around the table knows. They don't grasp it fully. And at one point during this meal, Jesus looks at Judas Iscariot. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. Judas knows what Judas is about to do. And he looks at him and he says, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, the other people around the table, the text says, they didn't know exactly why Jesus said this. No one at the table knew why Jesus said this to him. Some thought, now this gives us the indication of what the money bag was for. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Judas was the treasurer, that's what we learn here, the one who betrayed Jesus, he was the one in charge of the money. Because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. And I think this is important because here we get an understanding of what this money was for. People would fund Jesus' ministry. They would give out of their own resources uh, to, to support the work that Jesus was doing alongside of his disciples. And that money was used to provide for the needs of God's mission, the very real ministry that Jesus was doing on this earth, and also to provide for those who were in need around them. Now, that was Judas's job. But in John chapter 12, we see very clearly that because of Judas's lack of understanding of the generosity that God had poured out on him, he had a really hard time with this job as treasurer. And even though the other people around Jesus, all indications pointed to them growing closer to God, and growing in the right direction, Judas was around. He saw everything that was happening. He was part of the crew. And yet this is the indication that he was the one who was going to betray. Look what happens in John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover. So we're backing up from this meal we just talked about. Six days. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was 
whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. I mean, think about, think about this party. You have to think about what's happening here. Jesus, the last time he was in Bethany, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you know anything about Mary and Martha, this is not the first time they've hosted Jesus for dinner, but the setting is so different. The last time they hosted him, they were bickering and arguing because Mary was sitting at his feet. Martha was in charge of all the food, but this is different. This is a party. The last time they saw Jesus, their brother was dead. In fact, he'd been dead for a few days and Jesus raised him from the dead. And now right here, we see Lazarus reclined at the table. So Jesus is coming back into town. I mean, imagine they called Party City and they were like, give us the balloon bouquet that like to end all balloon bouquets. This is a big deal. And they brought Jesus in and Lazarus was reclined at the table and it was celebration and it was thankfulness. And Jesus had lavished love upon them. They were lavishing love back upon Jesus. And in the middle of all of this, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This perfume, this ointment, this nard would have been made, it's made from a very specific plant with a very specific fragrance. And the second she broke it open, the whole house would have smelled it. It would have been, this was part of the celebration. This was part of the generosity. It wasn't just the smell of the food that was being made. It wasn't just the sounds of the conversation and the party. It was now this smell of this expensive ointment and perfume being poured out on Jesus' feet. Jesus had lavished generosity on these people, and they were lavishing generosity back upon him. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with me, but you do not always have me. Judas, the moment he smells the perfume, gets angry. It's a weird reaction. Everyone else is celebrating. Jesus is in town. Lazarus is alive. If you have been saving this expensive perfume for a great occasion in life, The Messiah is in the house. Lazarus is alive. The party is going. This is the time to use it. And my guess is when they smelled it, everyone else in the house thought to themselves, what an appropriate time to break out this ointment, to break out the good stuff. And Judas smelled it and got angry. Why didn't you give this? Why didn't you sell this and give it to the poor? He says, it's worth 300 denarii. That's 300 days' wages. A denarius was about a day's wages. So I did a little math in my head. If we took minimum wage in Massachusetts and we multiplied it over 300 days, that's at least a $36,000 bottle of perfume that's being broken. And Judas gets angry. Why wouldn't you sell this and give it to the poor? And it looks 
on the surface, like his heart's in the right place. But John knows it's not. He tells us. Judas didn't care about the poor. It's like, have you ever been with a salesperson? The salesperson keeps trying to make it about you, but you really know it's about them. And they keep trying to say, no, 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 we want, you should buy this because it'll make your life better. And you can hear and you know that they really want you to buy it so they can make their numbers. That's Judas. We should give this to the poor. And everyone's looking back like, you don't care about the poor, Judas. You care about yourself. And all you want is the money and the money bag so that you can fund what you want to get done, so that you can take that which should be used generously for God's work and for his mission and use it for yourself. See, here's the challenge that I face that I think all of us face. When it comes to this indicator as to whether or not we're growing closer to God or further away from him. There's a little bit of Judas in all of us. I think that in all of us, there's a little bit of us that when we, God tells us to be lavishly generous with our resources, thinks to ourselves, well, what about me? What about what I want to get done? What about my mission? And the thing we ought to pay attention to is everything we know about Judas Iscariot, everything we know from the text, is that this is the key thing that's happening in Judas's heart that stops him from being able to buy all in to what Jesus is doing into the mission. He cannot grasp for some reason the generosity that has been lavished unto him by God. And so when he sees generosity happening, it makes him upset. And the more Jesus says we're going to be generous, the more upset he gets in his heart. And eventually, he sells, he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He had his price. And I think for all of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, this is an important thing for us to think about. Am I, in my relationship with God, am I growing in my understanding of the great grace and mercy that has been poured out for me through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection? And is that leading me to hold more to the, of the things of this, this world loosely and to be more generous towards God's work and to my fellow believers? When I think about this principle in action, I think about people like uh, Pastor Bob and Jane Wise. Pastor Bob pastored Brockton Assembly of God for decades. He was the leader of our, our district in the Assemblies of God for a number of years. And one of the things that he shared one time in, a, in a, a pastor's meeting is he said that when he and Jane were married, they knew that God wanted them, called them to give 10% of their resources to his work and his mission. But they felt like God was calling them to do more. And so they said, as we continue in ministry, as we continue to do God's work, we feel like God is calling us to add a percentage to that every single year of our marriage. So we'll start with 10, and after we're married a year, we'll go to 11 and then 12. And by the time Pastor Bob was saying to this to us, 
at the meeting, they had been married nearly 50 years. And they had continued. And I don't know, I don't know their personal situation, but I just have a feeling that being the two of them pastors together for all of those years, I don't think that the, that the bank accounts were massive that this was being given out of. I think that this was an intentional choice to every single year go back to their relationship with God and say, okay, a little bit less for our mission, a little bit more for yours. Let me tell you, I think that this principle is going to become more and more important as we go forward here. This idea that if we're growing in our relationship with God, we'll be growing in our generosity toward God's mission and to our fellow believers. I think that's going to become more and more important because I I don't want to be a huge alarmist, but I think it's going to only get harder and harder to follow Jesus Christ. You can see that coming. It's only going to get tougher. And as it gets harder and harder to follow Jesus Christ in our culture and in our world, it is going to take believers who are serious about the mission of God and believers who are serious about watching out for their fellow Christians to care for one another and to provide for one another and to fund the mission so that the gospel can continue to be preached in a world that doesn't want to hear it. And so I think we ought to ask ourselves, if we find ourselves moving in this direction, because at some point, push will come to shove in your life and in our culture. And the question is whether or not we are going to be in Judas's position, where it's just too much for us to deal with anymore, and so we go off our own direction, or whether or not we'll be like these early believers who in the midst of severe persecution in first century Rome, in the midst of no one else being willing to go along with them, in the midst of, I'm sure, loss of family relationships and friendships and other things, continued to live generously and graciously among one another to fund the mission and to support one another. And it all comes out of the reality that God has been exceedingly generous to us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the grace and mercy and love that God has generously lavished on you is so much deeper and broader than we could ever understand. And I love being a part of this ministry. I love being a part of Mount Hope. And one of the reasons I love being a part of Mount Hope is because of what we, we saw earlier during the announcements. The fact that during this year, our church upped its giving to our global outreach partners and upped its giving to people that are spreading the gospel around the world. There's a couple that, that has moved, and I had lunch with them a couple of months ago, a couple that was part of the largest uh, Assemblies of God campus ministry at Sam Houston State in Texas. And they felt God calling them to leave that group of, of 1,600 college students and to come to the city of Boston and pioneer a brand new gospel ministry on a campus in the city of Boston. And you and I are able to partner with that work because you have been so generous in your giving. And as you saw in the announcement, there's five other partners around the world that we are partnering with. It's a great thing. What a blessing to be a part of a community that is on mission with our resources for God's work and to support one another. We support one another. Also in this year, 
we haven't talked a, a ton about it, but our, you have continued to give to our benevolence ministry, even though we haven't made a lot of announcements about it. You continue to give. And you probably have noticed over the last couple of weeks that we've been more intentional in saying, if you have needs, please come and tell us. And if you go to our website, mounthope.org slash give, there's a place where you can uh, submit your need and say that you need some help. There's also a place where you can see the needs that are available in our church. They're all posted anonymously, but you can be a part of helping your fellow believers have their needs met so that we can be on mission together. The reason we can be so bold in this is because the members of this church have continued to give graciously and generously, even in the midst of a tough year. I love being a part of this community. I love that we are moving closer to God, and that's causing us to be more generous. I'm encouraging you this morning, as we look at Judas's heart, and as we look at the early believers, I am encouraging you to keep going. It is going to become more important over time that we continue to do this. And as we do, we will experience God's work among us in ways we never would otherwise. You want to see God begin to come and work among us in ways that we could never accomplish ourselves to do the signs and wonders that are clearly him, then we need to be generous in his work and his mission. And if we want to see many being added to the fellowship, people beginning to follow Jesus Christ, coming from our workplace and our families and our neighborhoods to begin relationships with Jesus Christ, then we have to be bold in continuing the work and continuing the mission. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And listen, I get it. I understand. No one, no one got in the car this morning and you were driving to church and you thought to yourself, I really hope the pastor talks about money. I get that. I get that no one, that you were coming for encouragement, you were coming to, to experience God's presence, and it probably didn't hit you that, that you were like, I hope of all the topics that we talk about this morning, we talk about money. But here's the thing. Scripture does not allow us not to talk about this topic. Throughout Scripture, there is such a clear relationship between the healthiness of our heart when it comes to our relationship with God, our, the, the intimacy of our relationship with Him, and how we view and deal with money. We don't preach about money because we want your money. We preach about money because we care about your heart, and we care about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and we care about the mission of God going forward. And I thank God for this community. And I pray that he will give us all we need to continue to live out his mission well. God, I come before you this morning and I admit to you that there are times when I'm more concerned with my mission than your mission. God, I pray that you will help us to become generous people. People who understand that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves and that be, you have lavished your love on us. You have been so gracious and generous unto us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that it would cause us to look differently at our material possessions, that it would cause us to see these things for what they really are, tools to be used for your glory. And that you would strengthen us and lead us and guide us to be generous when it comes to your mission and caring for our fellow believers. God, would you come and do your work among us by your spirit?
the work that only you can do. Draw us to yourselves, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.